Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Front Porch Catholic, where we talk about the grit and glory of domestic life on our Ohio hobby farm. And today we're doing something very special, very specific. We are starting our podcast. And this episode today on the Front Porch Catholic podcast, viewable also on YouTube, is called Thriving During Pandemic Ed. Pandemic Ed. Tips from a seasoned homeschooler and high school teacher. So we hope we, what we say today can be helpful to a lot of parents, a lot of families who are just enduring this really weird time in American history, in world history. Truly. And we kind of want to talk about the differences between and similarities between homeschooling, traditional brick and mortar schooling, and then what is going on now, which is neither traditional schooling nor is it homeschooling really. Yeah, it's something totally new and sometimes weird sometimes uncertain. Um, but we're going to shed a little bit of light on that, that we ha- you know, something from our lives. Um, yeah. So this podcast here is a compliment really to our YouTube channel where we really show farm life, our Catholic life, our family life. We have seven kids. That's a lot of kids. A lot of kids. High school all the way down to our baby just turned one year old. So we've got a little bit of experience under our belt, you know, we're not certified or licensed or anything, but we have life experience. So very valuable. And one of us has a Fu Manchu right now. <laughs> and it's not me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> the whole world can thank, thank you for being the one to yes. go at, Joe. Well, Good job. I'll take that bullet. Yeah. All right. Well, this podcast is really more of a conversation about culture, about society, and really about our faith and where we're finding ourselves today in 2020. Um, so for those of you who are new to Front Porch Catholic, you can find us on YouTube. You can find us um, on iTunes, on Google Play, on Facebook, on Podbean, and also on Patreon. We are not monetized, mostly because we don't want to subject people to you know, commercials that we don't endorse and that maybe you wouldn't endorse either. Um, so feel free to patronize us if you wish by finding us on Patreon. And also, don't forget to subscribe and share our content with your friends and family members. And enemies. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Especially if it's bad content, then definitely share it with your enemies. <laughs> By bad, you mean worthless content, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Help them waste their time. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, as we mentioned, we've got nine, nine people in our family. We live on a farm. We've been homesteading really since the dawn of our marriage, which has been in existence for... Since the dawn of time. <laughs> <laughs> for how many years have we been married? Uh, to remember... It's okay if you don't. 17, this, this December. Stop. Yeah, 17. Almost. Um, of course, it's implied. We're Catholic. Um, we oh, really? Our name is Front Porch Catholic. Just in case you weren't clear. Oh. All right. I have a really thick homeschool background, and Joe has a really thick educational background. Got your master's. You've been teaching. What have you been doing? I've been teaching for a long time, since the dawn of... Not really... I think this year is 17 years as well, because we started teaching right before we got married. I did. And I've got some brick and mortar teaching background too. I've developed and taught curriculums for elementary school kids, for high schoolers, but really brought that really close to home by deciding to homeschool our children, which we did from the time our oldest was in kindergarten. um, And he just went to a brick and mortar Catholic high school this year, only to be interrupted in his first brick and mortar experience by the pandemic. The so-called pandemic. So we know that they're different. We know homeschooling and brick and mortar schooling are very different. They have different philosophies, different approaches. Most of the time we get to choose 
what we're doing, how our children are receiving their education, and we get to choose how we spend our family time and our free time. But right now, those choices were really just wiped out. And a lot of parents, a lot of my friends have been forced to do something that they were not prepared to do. Well, you, you say that we get to choose, but that's true to a degree. But it's also true that during our the, the, the quote-unquote normal schooling, a lot of choices are made for us there too, just in a different sort of way. It's true that we get to choose whether we homeschool or send our kids to school. But if we're choosing to send our kids to a brick-and-mortar school, then also a lot of choices are made for us. And sometimes that makes it easier because we don't have to decide what time lunch is and we don't have to decide what time... Uh, recesses and we don't have to decide when we take potty breaks or what's for lunch or what's for recess right those are big decisions and so now well at one one hand a lot of choices have been removed because we can't go places or do things or you know whatever Mm -hmm. on the other hand we've been thrown a lot of choices that we now have to make in our in our daily schedule in our day-to-day life totally true that goes for us you know the those of us who decide to be home most of the time anyway i mean this has disrupted our life too, despite our kind of home-centered, home-focused lifestyle, our homeschool lifestyle, um, because now everything is like interacting in ways that we weren't expecting it to. Yeah, we have kind of two orbits going on. We have the orbit of pandemic online education going on, which mm-hmm. is still sort of borrowing from a brick-and-mortar model, mm-hmm. and then we have the orbit of homeschooling going on. And we have two little kids who are not in anything right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in little kiddom. Yeah, they're in, yeah, whatever that's little called. Little kid kingdom. <laughs> it's their own egocentric terrorism? orbit. <laughs> I don't know. Some would argue terrorism. Some would argue. Toddlerism. Toddlerism, that's a good word. Well, maybe we should... Well, I want to talk about really the philosophy behind homeschooling and then the philosophy behind brick and mortar schooling. How they're really different because we see on social media a lot right now, the two are being kind of the waters are muddled and people are calling, you know, having to go home to get their schooling. They're calling that homeschool and people are understandably freaking out and saying, this is not working for my family. I can't homeschool my kid when really not, they're not really homeschooling. They're, they're ed- virtual pandemic educationing. Correct. To coin a phrase. It's your phrase. Because it is virtual. It's kind of fake, kind of real, kind of online, virtual. It's during the pandemic, and we're all kind of having this also crisis of sanity and order, and it's education because we're trying to trying to teach them something. And I'd argue that even just living your family life is highly educational, and I think we should embrace that a little bit more yeah. this time. And we're going to talk more about how daily living as a family is is educational. Yeah, at some point here, fundamentally educational. Right. All right. So. We're going to talk about what they are and also what they are not. Mostly they're not each other. So homeschooling, in my experience, I mean, every mother, every father, every parent kind of is able to form their own idea of homeschooling. And in in your different states, you have to meet certain criteria. We live in Ohio and we comply with all of the things that Ohio requires of us. Um, And one of those things is choosing a curriculum and submitting that and, you know, validating your kid's education from one year to the next, proving that they have been assessed and progress, they're progressing according to their own abilities, which is kind of a vague thing, but I'm okay with that. We have strived, strove, striven. What's the right? Stroveled. We have stroveled. Striveled. Maybe <laughs> stripled. To teach our children to love learning. 
and to be able to think critically. And I think if you can keep curiosity alive in your child, they can learn really anything and find out who they were made to be on this earth. So in other words, like we can really individually educate our children because it is a one-on-one thing. Every year I go through, you know, I think about where that child is in their intellect and in their abilities um, to read and write and all that and do math. And I choose, I deliberately choose a curriculum that will fit them, that will fit me. Um, For us, a lot of times we develop our own classical curriculum. That's kind of what we do. Some people do co-ops where they go every couple days to a sit-down class with a, with a person that will teach them. Some people do online education. Again, it's all laid out and there's a teacher guiding you through that. But I choose things that are doable for us that meet you know, the needs of myself as the mother, as the teacher, and also for my child. So we're not um, sitting down at 8 a.m., ringing the bell and going through all of our books till three o'clock. We're moving through things in this rhythm that suits our daily living. Um, and we accomplish things in a really systematic way. Um, and we don't really bog down a lot of time. I think that's one of the big differences or one of the ways that curiosity is kept alive <clears throat> mm-hmm. in homeschooling or can be in homeschooling. Mm-hmm. I think this is also one of the, the pitfalls of people who try to homeschool like they are a brick and mortar school is that uh, it's kept alive sometimes by allowing time freedom for children. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we haven't had it, mostly Erica, because she's the one who does all the homeschooling, and I'm just here along for the ride. But it doesn't mean that we don't struggle, that our kids don't have days in math or in spelling or something that are difficult or that they don't want to do, because mm-hmm. that will happen. <clears throat> but our kids do not sit in class for seven or eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And I think especially for young kids... <clears throat> That is one of the most important and freeing things is that they know when I finish my lesson in math, I'm finished with my lesson in math. I don't have to sit here for an extra 20 minutes because the bell hasn't rung yet or because somebody else needs to sit here. And and conversely, if I sit here for an hour in math, Mm -hmm. that's okay because there's nobody waiting on me. It's not like I'm inconveniencing Susie or something because I have an hour in math. And that allows them to you know, embrace those subjects a lot more freely than in a traditional brick and mortar school because heck, you know, in a in a normal school normal school, once you get going in a subject, you might be really interested in it, but who cares? If the bell rings, you've got to move on because that's what we've decided you have to do. And that's not to undercut the value in a brick and mortar school. Um but it is just different. It's different than a home school. Yeah, we talk a lot in in brick and mortar schooling and traditional schooling, I guess, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. about individualizing everybody's education. But the reality is it's difficult to individualize everybody's education in a, in a traditional brick and mortar setting. Just because of numbers. Right. And the schedule. Yeah. So we've been able to work around that by choosing home education. Um, Just cutting out all that fat, working really just one-on-one with a a child. Um, So, What's, I guess, the philosophy behind a brick-and-mortar school? Like, what's the goal? I mean, we're both products of brick-and-mortar schools, so. Yeah. I had a Why great education. Why do call them brick-and-mortar schools? Because they're made of brick-and-mortar, like our yeah. house. Not all of them. Yeah. Well, some of them are. Steel I think and concrete. It's to, to emphasize the fact that they are a physical Permanent. place. They are a place you go, and place implies 
structure. Place implies schedule. Place implies community. You know, multiple yeah. people. And I think that's part of their philosophy and value. When you and here's here's the other bit is is that in brick and mortar schooling, there there are a plethora of philosophies. Truly. Yeah. Because you have you have Jewish schools, you've got Catholic schools, you've got Montessori schools, you've got public schools, and even within those, then there's a whole gamut of of uh, kinds of schools as well. And then you go within the different age levels. So the, I think the general things we could say is that brick and mortar schools are there somewhat because parents want to have their children educated, but want it to be done by someone else. Or even cooperate with someone else doing most of it. Because right. parents are still a huge part of their kids' education. Most parents are still a huge part of their uh, Parents children's. are a big part of their kids' education, whether they recognize it or not. Yeah, they are a huge that's part. fundamental. Yeah. Right. I guess we made that assumption that our listeners would know we were coming from that place. You know what they say about assuming things. I own donkeys. So yes, I do know. <laughs> and I make jokes about it with frequency. Yeah. So they're both good ways to educate our kids, but all of us have had the rug pulled out from under us and our expectations for the school year have been upended and moms and dads are home with their kids. Babysitters are maybe having more children than they're used to. Mom and dad may or may not be working, so they may be home with their kids all day, which is unusual for everyone. I think even in the homeschool setting, it's been unusual because you're not in your normal rhythm in homeschool because we now have other players. The other, yeah, other people are home with needs, legitimate needs, and with their own schedule that we all have to just kind of have to fit it all together like a big puzzle. And most days it turns out just fine, which is why we were inspired to just share some of the successes that we've had because while this is a difficult time for parents and students and children of all ages, it's a time that we can thrive in if we know what to do to thrive. So, I guess we should back up and say where we, well, we find ourselves now in this crisis, and we're hoping to move through it really fast. I mean, in Ohio, so what's going on in Ohio right now, where we live? Well, they've canceled all traditional schooling through the end of the school year. Well, canceled. By that, we mean that if you are continuing to educate your students, you are doing so virtually from a distance. As you're doing with your high school, from the right. time the lockdown began, like, more than a month ago. Yeah. Kids were sent home with computers, headsets, all of their books, and teachers are teaching on a, a social platform, right? Yeah. You're face to face for the most part. Video platform online. Mm-hmm. Giving lectures, giving homeworks, doing right. presentations. Right. So you guys have a very hands on, very kind of quasi physical um, educational interaction with your students. Yes. They all come to class four days a week. And they're doing all of their classes. Nothing has been dropped. There's no pre-recordings, no watching. It's like still live teaching, but yeah. through the computer. It's as personal as it can be, yeah. given the situation. So praise the Lord for that. I feel like that's the best possible thing that we could be expecting as parents. I mean, I, I'm a homeschool mom, but I'm also the parent of a high school student. So the fact that he's getting that experience... And still getting that rich education and even that cultural element. I know you guys had like a bit of a, re- a mini retreat today after our school. I'm really pleased that that's part of his education now. Um, and I think we should recognize that a lot of people are not getting that. Correct. That's not a lot of people's virtual 
whatever pandemic ed. A lot of people's virtual pandemic ed is maybe they meet with their teacher once per week. Mm -hmm. They get assignments. A lot of it's assignments, which can translate into busy work, especially when so much of this was unknown, meaning that we didn't even know the timeline. At least now we know we're not going back before the end of the school year. Mm -hmm. Until this, we just kept getting dates bumped back, bumped back. So at first it was, well, two weeks. We're in this for two weeks. And then it's like, we're in this for a month. And now it's now we know we're going through the end of the school year. Right. And so teachers were somewhat like, well, should we carry on not knowing what the future may hold? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was part of the, the challenge as well. So that's where, you know, in Ohio, your school finds itself there. Many of our county schools, city schools, and in the state, yeah, they're having those different, that, that huge variety of educational experiences right now. Our homeschool experience is pretty much uninterrupted and not different at all. Um, except that there are other bodies present in the house using resources that I normally would just have free access to, like the computer or the internet or the phone. And those aren't huge deals, but they do kind of disrupt my normal expectation. But we can work around that, and it's like not that big of a deal. So, I think we've kind of identified several key elements in thriving in this time. And they're really true whether we're talking about homeschooling during this time or whether we're talking about virtual pandemic education. And I think they're probably really true all the time, whether it's this time or any others. Things that we've identified as things that we must have in our family Mm -hmm. educational life if we want it to be good. Right. And that's why I wanted to share because in this time we're forced to really think about these things. And so it would just be a huge loss if we didn't come out of it you know, with a stronger, a stronger foundation in some of these principles. So we're hoping to offer these to you as a way to enable um, you to think deeply about your family life and to be able to use some of these tools to thrive in your family situation, in your child's school education, no matter where you're finding yourself. So there are like really four that we wanted to share, really, right? Quattro. Quattro, to speak another language. How many languages can you say the number four in? Five. (laughs) You'd like to say which ones they are? No. No. (laughs) Maybe six. Okay. You're kind of bragging there. Yeah. Oh, well. It's the pandemic. Hey, you know, I got a lot of people to impress on a daily basis. (laughs) I'll say you. Your children and your virtual students. Okay. Well, we spend a lot of time talking about the daily rhythm this is the first thing we want to offer to you guys is just establishing so, number one, number one, a rhythm, a daily rhythm for your life, which is more normal for me as a homeschool mom. I do have a rhythm. I don't really have a schedule by the clock, although I am a clock person. I really You're appreciate clock the person. clock. I like to run our life by what the clock expects of me. Um, like we have lunch at a normal time. We have dinner at a normal time, but... I'm not saying, okay, we have to hurry up and close up your, you know, your science books because now it's time to make lunch. I plan things out ahead of time so that lunch does not conflict with lessons. So I think one of the things that a lot of people found themselves with was this lack of rhythm, especially going from a brick and mortar school setting where there is a rhythm. And that's one of the attractive things about brick and mortar settings. And something that's good for a lot of kids is the rhythm. There is structure that is part of that day. And children thrive on structure, and some children really, really need structure. 
Uh, I think that's sort of been proven universally true. Mm -hmm. And so thrown out of that structure and into the home, it can be difficult then for the parents to recreate the rhythm when they're not recreating the school day as it existed before. Mm -hmm. And so luckily, I mean, I sort of came into Erica's rhythm of her day, but there have been some tensions. Mm -hmm. And so what kind of things are the markers of the rhythm of your day? Um, waking up. Do you want to go kind of through what our day looks like? Well, I mean, briefly. Is that boring to people? Real brief. <laughs> real brief. We wake up. Um, kids come downstairs. They say some kind of private morning prayer for the little ones, like our toddlers and, you know, third grader. They're just closing their eyes and, you know, praying. Maybe they're looking at a saint book. The older kids are opening up Magnificat and praying the early morning prayer. Magnificat is a, a prayer booklet that guides you through the Mass or through the morning readings. We'll, we'll share more about Magnificat in a second, actually. Um, some people are reading from Scripture. And then we have breakfast. Breakfast has been made. They're going to go eat but it. But breakfast is on their own time. Like, they wake up, they do their morning prayer, and they eat breakfast, and they do all their stuff. Mm -hmm. But we come together at a specific time as a family, as yeah. kind of the first marker. They've got to have their morning chores done, and yeah. their morning prayer done, and their and morning... And get dressed, brush your teeth, make your bed. Done, clean up your room. That's feed all... Feed your animals. Okay, so eight. the first time the clock and our family rhythm coincide is 8.30. That's when we sit down for family morning prayer. And I think those markers are important. Yes. Because otherwise the day escapes. So easily, especially when you're caught in your bathrobe and you're having to help a toddler brush their teeth and the laundry is buzzing. There's always things There's always to do things. that can postpone that marker that mm -hmm. though allows, allows them. Because the kids otherwise, they're just running amok until they know, okay, we, it's now time to move on to the next thing. And so I think those markers are very mm -hmm. important. It's good. It helps <clears throat> them to manage their time, really, and their responsibilities. And it helps me too. So that's the first part of our rhythm. Then they do homeschool. They Which, do lessons. What is that? Again, I think it might have gotten missed. 8.30. is what? What do we do at 8.30? a.m. We gather in our living room to pray as a family. Family prayer. Family prayer, baby. If you're not doing it, do it. You're going to lose the fight otherwise. So true. You got to pray. Just you got to, to, to pray just to make it today. <laughs> is that MC Hammer? Somebody tell me. I don't want to You don't need to go back into Okay. Some of us have a richer history with R&B and rap than others. Yeah, I don't have much of history. That's okay. I'll fill you in. Thanks. All right, so that's the first marker of our day, 8.30 family prayer. Then we proceed to lessons. After lessons, there's some free time. And then there's lunch. After lunch, there is kind of quiet time slash reading time slash nap time. Whatever has to happen for each individual is what we do then. And then um, a lot of times we're going outside to work and after your school day. Wraps up around 2 o'clock, and then dinner. And then again, family prayer for the night is at 8 p.m. So the really the punctuators of our day, I think, food that establish prayer. a rhythm are food and prayer. Food and prayer. And that's not a bad thing. Um, the kids know that, and they can then work around us. So we have some kids who start their homeschooling before we do our family prayer. By choice. But By choice. But mm -hmm. some choose to wait until after, and that's fine. After family prayer they have to start homeschooling yeah. but they can choose to start it before um, 
similarly with lunch, you know, we they, they some of them, like the high schooler now, he's got things that he's got to accomplish. He's got his homework to do, and he knows that that's got to fit into his time slots that he's got. So if he wants to postpone it until later in the night, well, that's fine, but he just is not going to have the freedom then to do whatever we're doing later in the night. So usually he fits it in during the day. Yes, he's motivated. <clears throat> so we've got breakfast, which is on their own, but then we've got morning prayer, then we've got lunch, then we've got evening prayer, sorry. And then we've got, uh, sorry, dinner and then evening prayer, usually to end our day or pretty close to the end of our day, like yeah. 8 o'clock before the kids go to bed. Some people even fall asleep during family prayer. Right. It is a good thing because toddlers will go to sleep much easier if you pray right before bedtime. Yeah. It helps. Yeah. Ease them in. That's not that. why you should pray, but it is a nice fringe <laughs> benefit of praying. <laughs> yeah. So rhythm is so important. Food and prayer equal rhythm. So that's going to look different for everybody. That's what it looks like for us. But we've found it to be a huge marker of peace in our home. Right. Good. Okay, so the second point we wanted to make was that children spell love, T-I-M-E, time and presence. Only if they're homeschooled, then they can't spell very well, which is why they're totally wrong. Love is spelled L-O-V-E. Oh, Joe. Now, I think that a lot of our, ourselves included, fellow parents, are struggling with this whole love and time thing because our time, again, is disrupted. We don't maybe have a rhythm. Life is not how we expect it to be right now, and it happened all of a sudden. So it's just important to be intentional about how to spend time with your kids, how to love them. Now, I mean... We talk sometimes, Joe, about quality time versus quantity time, presence. Like, how does spending time in your life, how does that translate into loving your kids? How does that show them love? Do you have any examples? Um, well, I think there is yes. Is that a good answer? I think yeah. there is yes. <laughs> First, I guess there's a sort of a fallacy, I believe. The fallacy is that there's that you've got to have quality time. You've got to spend quality time. If you're not solely focused and devoted on that particular child, it doesn't somehow count. Unless you're not unless you're taking them to a princess ball or what playing catch with them one on one, it doesn't count as time. <clears throat> Those things are fine and good, but that's not the only way that you can spend time with your children. Uh, I think that right now I saw a little poll the other day that said that. Um, most families now say that they are closer than ever before. It's not a shocker because they are spending more time with each other than ever before. And whether it's quality time or crummy time, it's just (laughs) time. And that can include work. It should include work because that's how they learn how to work well. Mm -hmm. Um, It should include meals and it should include prayer. And all of those are time. And that is how they will know love, Mm -hmm. whether it is explicit or not, I think. Yeah, so I think something, a trap I fall into is because I have seven children, you know, if I'm going to spend one-on-one, if I'm feeling the pressure to spend intense one-on-one time with each kid, doing an event with each kid every day or even every week, that quickly amounts to lots and lots of hours, but I've got all these other duties that have to be fulfilled in my life. So I can easily fall into the trap of guilt when I look back at the week and say, oh, I did not you know, take Rosemary to that princess ball or something like that. So that makes me a bad mom. Really, that's not true is what you're saying. Right. 
That's not again, but it's not an excuse though to ignore the 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 identity or the individual individuality individualism that of a particular child and their own desires, wants, and needs. Yeah. So, uh, with if you have a child that likes to to bake things, and part of this this uh, to to diverge here for a second. That's okay. Part of the beauty of homeschooling is that in the first K through eight years of their lives, all of our children have discovered hobbies or pursuits or interests that they have in part because they have freedom to discover those and we don't over um helicopter we don't over uh, enroll them in extracurriculars or sports because that's we can't because it takes too much time (laughs) but also because it allows them great freedom i mean they have hours a day to pursue things that they want to pursue they have time to work and they've got homeschool time, but then they've got hours. In a normal brick-and-mortar school setting, they don't have those hours to pursue their own interests or desires. And I think a lot of people never then discover their own interests and desires. So yeah. off of that diversion, unless you want to diverge well, some more. Well, just to make a tangential point to that diversion, um, I saw that happen um, in our high school this year. He went from having a lot of free time and time to do hobby and self-discovery and you know pursue his interests to all of a sudden having the whole day spent at the school, which was fine, but then he had soccer, and then he got home and then had homework. So really, his whole day was structured for him, and he didn't really have a lot of that time to even notice that he had wanderlust. And that's a that's a poverty, I think. That's a not a great thing. So again, it comes back to time management, rhythm, and all of that. Um, but I just that was remarkable to me to see that for the first time in one of my children. So as a mom, I had the um, privilege to help maneuver him through that and help him reflect on that. So it was good, it was a time of growth, but again, a big difference between a homeschool time the and the brick and mortar school time and family time all just kind of is so intertwined. And one of the things to point out that we've noticed or observed is that boredom isn't a bad thing and there will be a transition period of boredom, especially if you're coming from a highly structured setting. So you're talking like middle, like late middle schoolers, junior high schoolers. You're going to see that right now? I think you're going to see it in every age. Okay. I mean, our kids, even the homeschool kids, are bored from time to time. But that just means that they don't have something planned for them. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that there's nothing that they can do or would like to do. It's just they don't have anybody telling them mm-hmm. what to do. Um, and it's an easy thing to then go to the screen the screen mm-hmm. to solve boredom. And it does solve boredom. And we do put them in front of screens. Me and you? Yeah. Or all of us? We all put ourselves, but we put our kids in front of screens too. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we need them to be entertained. But that's Modern. not really discovering their own pursuits. No. You need to let them, <clears throat> you need to force them through the boredom sometimes. Yeah. Disciple them through the boredom. Some would use that term. That's a great one. Sometimes you just force them through the boredom. (laughs) Sometimes you got to just force them. (laughs) Totally true. An example of something that you can do for to help translate time into love with your child is thinking about those five love languages. Everyone has said like everything you can possibly say about these five love languages. And if you Italian and French, (laughs) if you don't know, not those, Joe. If you don't know the five love languages, just search for them. You'll find them. And you, there are tests for children that you can give to them. Like you can read the questions, answer, you know, click the button to answer for them. And it'll compute what their love language is supposedly based on their age and how they're giving you answers. I um, found it very helpful because these five love languages um, are really important 
to the person feeling like they have been given love. And it's not something kids are able to really talk about or enunciate a lot, but you do see the fruits of it in their life if you are loving them in the way that they feel loved best. So do your research on the five love languages. But my point I want to make is this. If you read to your child, I think you can satisfy all of those love languages in one activity, that being reading. Um, so for example, we've got these toddlers, we've got you know young kids, everyone loves to be read to. When someone's reading to you, you are spending time with them. Well, sorry, when you're so reading- So here's the quality, here's the five love language. They are- Quality time. <laughs> We're gonna tell you them anyways, you don't have to search for them anymore. <laughs> okay. They need to know them in order to understand your point. Just stay on the front porch. <laughs> <laughs> quality time. Physical affection, words of affirmation, works of service, and gift giving. Now think about it. If you have, you know, your six-year-old bring you a book, Rapunzel, for instance, and sit on your lap, you have physical affection. You have physical touch. You're, they're in your lap or beside you cuddled up. Quality time, you're spending time reading to them. Words of affirmation. Normally stories are happy and they're good and you're using your like mommy storytelling voice to Or daddy or, story. <laughs> yeah, or I never use the daddy storytelling no, voice. True. You're using that voice to tell the story. So they're hearing that, they're feeling they're hearing the words, they're happy words, they're feeling loved. Um you are doing a work of service. You've set your day aside so that you can read to your child. So they're they're receiving the gift of service. And then what was the last one all of a sudden? Gift giving. Gift giving, yes. Here, mommy bought, brought this book off the shelf to read to you. Like, you brought something physical to give them to read to them. So, I mean, I'm talking about that in reference to a six-year-old. But if you got a third grader, a fourth grader, a fifth grader, I think all of our kids love being read to. We have family story time every night, most every night. Currently, Joe is reading Black Beauty out loud to the family after prayer time. You've gone through all the Fellowship of the Rings, The Hobbit. You've read, what else? Joe's Boys. A lot of mm-hmm. Louise and the Alcott stuff. We read, we read, we read stories, and it's a good thing because the family can be together, experience those the satisfaction of those five love languages, and that's a great thing. Kids need to feel love right now. Parents need to feel love. Spouses need to feel the love of each other when all of our world is really uncertain. We just need to fill up on love. So what you're saying is it's helpful to understand those, and reading is a good way to satisfy all of them. So when in doubt, read to read your, to your children. children. Because it'll satisfy whatever love language. If you're too lazy to figure out which love language they have, it'll satisfy it. So absolutely, pretty and we, no-brainer. Yeah, and it's a great alternative to screen time. It's you know good to have it in moderation, but you know I'm. But it does sure. take your time to read to them. Screen time just doesn't take any of your time. Just takes the child out of your right your day. And screen time does not satisfy any of the love languages. So people never feel loved by screens. No, not that they're bad, but you you can't love your child by putting them in front of the screen. They won't feel it. Yeah. It's impossible. Okay. So our third, um, not our third point. Fourth, third point. Third point. Our third example of how to thrive in this time, no matter where you find yourself, is developing a family prayer life. We already talked about it, but we're going to hit it hard again because it is fundamental to your life. Prayer life. Having a rhythm for your day and really centering your day around prayer, just like the monks do. I mean, it's hard to know what came first, monastic life and the rhythm of daily prayer and daily meals and work, or the domestic life. I mean, obviously, it was a domestic life that came first, so chronologically. So it's not hard to figure out which one came first. No, but I think, at least in Catholic spheres, we tend to, we domestic people, tend to look at the monastery and say, oh, they're doing it right. 
they they model it for us, which they do. But we sometimes forget that like it was founded here in the home. So we should pay attention to that. It's really important. Um, so family prayer life is necessary to family rhythm and to family life and thriving at all times, but especially thriving in pandemic ed. Uh, sometimes we can get into the trap of relying upon externals to fill the gap sort of of family prayer. We can rely on going to church on Sunday to be our prayer time, or we can even rely sending our kids to a Catholic school and having them pray with our kids to be that prayer time. We don't see our kids for meals, so we lose out on the mealtime prayer. Um, So now that they're thrown sort of back into our lives and into our laps, um, this is a, this is maybe apparent as a gap in our life. And it's a necessary thing, not only necessary for a happy earthly life, but of course it is necessary for eternal life. Yeah. And it's extremely important to really focus in on the developing a prayer life for yourself and for your family when, you know, public liturgical life is really kind of non-existent right now. I mean, we have the opportunity in our diocese to still go to confession. The church is still unlocked at times of the day, so we can go and pray in front of Jesus in the tabernacle if we choose. But mass is gone. Um, weddings are being kind of, they're really being more, more private. There isn't a communal element at all. Um, so that's really unfortunate. Those things that we do rely on are stripped away. So now, more than ever, we really need to focus. So what is prayer life? We just want to give some examples if you're struggling to find like ways to pray as you're in with your family what are some tools that you can use that we use joe that have been really helpful to us well we have used forever in our marriage and in our family life the rosary mm-hmm. um, because the rosary involves really learning three prayers and even small children can learn three prayers by heart mm-hmm. by heart our father hail mary glory be mm-hmm. and even it can seem like, especially if you start off big with the rosary, that it can seem like a struggle to get the children to engage or to sit still or whatever. But that's okay. Just keep doing it. it they'll yeah. get used to it eventually. I mean, now that we've been doing it for 17 years, it's an expected thing. Even our three-year-old, he knows that he's going to come sit next to me and we're going to sit there during the rosary. And that's what he expects. And because there's that expectation and he sees his older siblings, it becomes easy for him to do it. Yeah. Um, so it may be, again, these things are all sort of growth struggles when we start them because everything that grows is a struggle. But I, I would say that that's a good family prayer time yeah. thing. And it takes 15 minutes to pray the rosary if you include quick meditations on the mysteries. And that's kind of getting a little bit quasi-advanced in the Catholic life is knowing the mysteries and meditating on them. But it's like shorter than a, an episode of Wild Kratz, right? <laughs> so if you're, we told the younger kids, if you can watch an episode of Wild Kratz, which is 21 minutes, you can pray the rosary and it's no big deal. And sometimes they do get up and misbehave or walk out of the room when they're little. Um, but we just quietly correct or we just use our discernment sometimes to, sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we really crack down on it. It just depends on the kid and the, the the demeanor of the family at that moment. So Yeah, we usually just make the one year old kneel in the corner the whole time. <laughs> we so that's have a never joke. done that. It's that a total joke. joke. Now I do wanna say, not to brag on our kids, but we get intimidated, parents get intimidated about the rosary, about family prayer because we're pre- we feel pressured to like make our kids memorize things. But I want to say our oldest when he was three was praying the rosary in Latin. Not because he was super smart. Not because, although he is, 
not because he um, was like a really, really good kid, because he was a toddler and probably our toughest, but because we just did it over and over and over again. So example, repetition, children will learn. Um, and it's a good thing, and he, so he remembers them today, which is kind of impressive to his younger siblings because we've kind of dropped off the Latin praying part a little bit more than more than in the past. But I hope to pick it back up because it's a great a great there thing. There you go. Um, so second thing that we do for prayer, we like to use. Okay, we of course pray at meal time. We pray before meals and after meals, and there are traditional prayers you can find for that. Um, a good time to call to mind our gratitude and the source of all of our sustenance and nourishment. We also use every day the Magnificat or the Liturgy of the Hours. It was something that Joe and I were introduced to in college. Um, we just kind of, I wanted my own copy after I had that experience of praying the Liturgy of the Hours when I was abroad, um, studying at a Carthusia oh monastery. <laughs> you mean and you were overseas? What? Yes, Joe. I was overseas studying and I came back wanting that. I got that Liturgy of the Hours book for Christmas from my parents and it's been a treasure. I've used it every day of my life um, until recently because we bought a family subscription to Magnificat. Magnificat, it's, um, you can order it online. It's a monthly par- like prayer book. It's disposable. So if like the little kids get it and they rip it up, no big deal. Not gonna be a family heirloom, but the things in it are great. Scripture, daily mass readings, reflections, lives of the saints, so much, but it's so simple because it's um, something that all, all of our reading kids can use and also us. So we and even down. there are some prayers that are repeated every day. And so right. the, even you know, the six-year-old who can't read yet, she can still pray those prayers because they're repetitive and she can learn them over time. Yeah, and it's great. It's very scriptural and awesome source. Um, and you can really spend a lot of time with it. There's morning prayer, evening prayer, midday prayer. There's um, night prayer. We use it, though, for our morning prayer. We use the it for our morning prayer. The 8.30 morning prayer, start the day prayer. And we've been using it for Sunday. Sunday. Um, we have decided not to live stream Mass right now. We had in the past, and then we discovered the beauty of just praying through the Mass together and having someone do readings. And, of course, there's no Eucharistic element, but um, it is personal and prayerful, and we're grateful for it. Grateful for that resource. So Magnificat Magazine. They have a um, kids edition, too. Like, it has coloring pages and stuff. It's really good. If you're into so. coloring. So, for the three things, review here. First thing is daily rhythm. Second thing is time is love. Third thing is a prayer life. Fourth, Fourth thing. thing. Fourth thing. We need something to look forward to. Kids, adults, we normally have our day to look forward to. We have our structure. We have a rhythm. We have prom to look forward to. Graduation to look forward to. We have our sports, sports. to look forward to. Musical. All those things. Even just, the weekend. To look forward to. And now there's no weekend because there's no week. It's kind of like Groundhog Day. Yeah. It's really weird. A little bit. So you need to create structure. You need to create rhythm. And you need to create things to look forward to. And we kind of discovered that last week when we were like, why is everybody in a funk? Because it was Easter. And like everybody looks forward to Easter. But Easter was kind of like, not not, not truly. Not yeah. Jesus rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. We celebrate it. Pretty big deal. It's a huge deal. But... The, all of the, the celebratory human... element of Easter yeah. was kind of like, wah, wah. It was kind of gone. Now, we did a great thing to supplement that. But um, all that to say, we just really, well, we, we won't talk about it just in case it gets anybody busted. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Thankfully, we don't live in New York and no one is obliged to snitch on us. But Ooh, that was cold. Erica. Dig. Well, anyway, we need something to look forward to. So... It can get really easy to just go through your day and have an endless list of tasks and chores to do and feeling like, 
oh, I shouldn't sit down and read because I've got laundry. Like you could just really keep on doing. Lisa, I feel like I, I could keep on. I keep hearing you talk about laundry. Is this something that's an issue in your life? <laughs> it's a daily issue. It never goes away. It's never done. <laughs> it piles up and I see it. Luckily, I have a back room where it can like hide out for days at a time. Yes, but you know it's there. It's lurking in the darkness always. I try to manage it, but that's actually, yeah, that's the thing that I, that's in the back of my mind. And I'm like, I'm going to go outside and enjoy the sunshine and push somebody on the swing. But I have to do the laundry. laundry. Should I stay inside and do it? No, I should not always stay inside and do it. I need to go out. So the point is that by creating breaks or a list of accomplishments, you can then say, here's what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. Once we're done with that, we're done with it. And we had done this. You had done this in homeschool, just mm-hmm. sort of instinctively. Here are the things you need to cover the day. The kids knew it. They could work for it. They would work harder because they knew the end. And then when the end came, they got a break. We do it in brick-and-mortar schools. We say, okay, here's the classwork. Once the classwork is done, you can move on. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we forget to translate that into our own lives. And so we have these endless numbers of goal or tasks that can be done. Mm-hmm. And we forget to set up those same benchmarks Here's what I'm going to do today. And after that is done, I am free. Mm-hmm. Free at last. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's important to have that as part of every day. Maybe it's we're going to have a 30-minute family movie after supper. Maybe it's um, on Saturday we're going to go for a walk at a local nature preserve or something and keep social distancing. A local blah, nature blah, blah. preserve. <laughs> <laughs> I like nature I preserves. know, but it sounds like you're trying to be cool or something. You know what? We do it. We just did it the other I day. I know. <laughs> and it's a, great, it's a great thing. And a lot of people are turning to them right now. So thankful for that. But maybe, um, I know tonight we're going to go to the local hardware store because we have to make some purchases. But it's kind of a big deal because I'm looking forward to it because we're going to get out of the house. I'm going to be able to like be in public with you. I'm going to hold your hand in that hardware store because I don't have to distance from you. So creating expectations of what to look forward to for the children's sake, for the parents' sake, for for your spouse's sake. And certain personalities of children really need that. Our oldest needs something to look forward to. Otherwise, he sinks into sort of like a... Eeyore. Yeah, Eeyore situation. So even if it's just, we're going to play video games for 15 minutes tonight, he will look forward to that the entire day because he knows it's coming. Like Christmas, you know, like kids look forward to Christmas Day. And if it's gone, well then, wah, wah, kind of like how Easter was. But yeah, so those are really good things to... Go ahead. And so part of that means that we don't have those things just haphazardly thrown into our day. I think sometimes we just let whatever happens, happens. And when you let whatever happens, happens, there's nothing to look forward to anymore. Say, hey, you want, you know, play video games whenever you want. Well, then there's no video game to look forward to. Or if we say, oh, we're just going to eat candy whenever you want all day long. Well, then there's no candy to look forward to after dinner or whenever. It doesn't, it's not special anymore. So there's an element of like self-control and discipline that helps things to be special too and provide those things to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So yeah, hopefully that was beneficial to you and you find ways in your life to create structure, to create rhythm, to develop family and individual prayer, um, to create things to look forward to and to spend creative time together, um, sharing love and community and presence. So hopefully those were helpful. If you like this podcast, please consider sh- sharing it with people, following it. I don't know all the lingo. We're really new to podcasts. <laughs> like this is our first this one. This is our We're first one. New. 
I don't even know how to edit. So this everything you're hearing raw, <laughs> totally raw, raw podcasting. You can catch us on YouTube as well, but we're going to do the podcast about once a month on timely topics. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. Hopefully everyone stays healthy and we hope that you guys are made holy through your work and we will see you next time on Front Porch Catholic. Bye guys. Timely topics with Front Porch Catholic. <laughs>